meditation of my heart. Be acceptable in thine sight, O Lord, our Redeemer. Amen. You may take your seats. The second lesson has been read for your hearing from the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter. I encourage you to open it up. The Gospel of John, the fifth chapter. I want to read part of it again, but I want to read this translation from the King James Version. You may note a little difference. Verses 3, 4, and 5. In John chapter 5. In the King James Version it says, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then was the first after the troubling of the water to step in was made whole of whatever diseases he had. And a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. An angel came down and troubled the water in a certain season. And whosoever was the first to step into the water was made whole. And there was a certain man that was there for 38 years. Then the rest is very consistent. This morning's sermon is entitled Preferential Option by the Pool. Preferential Option by the Pool. In John chapter 5, we see Jesus traveling to the capital city of Jerusalem. He's traveling there to celebrate one of the three annual feasts that serve as high and holy days on the Jewish calendar. Biblical scholars and theologians are not in agreement concerning which feast. But this is not important for my preaching purposes here today. What I find most telling is what Jesus does when he arrives in Jerusalem. We do not see Jesus checking into the downtown Jerusalem Hilton. Jesus does not have time to shop nor sit around with fellow clergy exaggerating about the size of his ministry while eating steak and lobster. Jesus has other plans, other priorities on his ministerial agenda. There is a place that Jesus prefers to visit. It's a place on the other side of the proverbial tracks. A place where many people, many rabbis dare not go. A place known as the pool. The pool of Bethesda to be exact. The Bible says that a great multitude of those with sickness and diseases congregate here. At this pool lie the undesirables, the outcasts, the indigent, 
some whom today we may refer to as simply disabled or differently abled. But in this ancient context, they were viewed as spiritually deficient, if not demon-possessed. The pool is not a pleasant place. Picture it with me. I can see a blind man and a paralyzed woman huddled up together in a corner. The two sit there day in and day out with all of their meager worldly possessions gathered around them. Maybe a true friendship has developed out of this relationship that formed out of utility. The blind man keeps his heavy stick near his reach as the paralyzed woman serves as the couple's eyes. His heavy stick, her keen eyes, ward off all of the potential robbers and rapists, which on at least one occasion victimized both prior to their holy union. I can see this. I can see a scene at the pool with a cast of those who will ultimately be the featured players in this greatest story ever told. A man with a withered hand. A woman with an issue of blood. An invalid from Bethesda. A blind man named Bartimaeus. And ten lepers even storm through the crowd, hoping that this will be the one place where their illness will work to their advantage. Maybe the fellow afflicted might too be so scared of their contagious conditions and thus part the crowd in order at least one of them might be able to jump in the water first. I can see this. You see, this is where, why they're all here at the pool. They're here to be the first one to jump in the pool whenever an angel comes down and troubles the water. People have different ailments and conditions, yes. People here represent a range of personal circumstances and carry their own particular histories, absolutely. Yet all of them, have come to this place for one reason. They are in need of healing. And according to the version that I read for your hearing, those gathered here believe that when an angel comes down to trouble the water, the first one to jump in will be cured of their particular condition. Now, the editors of the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, which you have in your pews, have elected to omit verse 4 from the fifth chapter in John's Gospel. Many, many biblical scholars note that an angel troubling the water was not present in the earliest Latin translations of the Johannine literature. Nor is an angel coming down to trouble the water consistent in their view theologically with angelic function. Yet I opted to read a translation that includes verse 4 because the attributes of the angel that biblical scholars denounce, ah, it just so happens in my view. Ah, this one seems 
uh, to catch and capture what we see in the society. Oh, we see an angel that comes down at a certain season, the Bible says. The angel comes down in a certain season ah, because he is seasonal. He comes down in a certain season, ah, not when the people are in need, but yet when the people ah, want him most, not when the people feel that they have a need that could be met, but in a certain season, the angel comes down. Some would say that this would make this angel a fair weather friend. Some would say that this makes this angel haphazard. Some would say that this makes this angel a one that comes on his own time. Not when they need him but when he feels like coming through. But also, not only is the angel seasonal, the Bible says that the angel is also selective. For whenever the angel comes down and troubles the water, it's the first one that jumps in. The first one that jumps in is the one that is healed of their affliction. not based upon who has the worst conditions it's not based upon the one that is in need of healing the most it's not based upon oh, the one that is in the most dire circumstances but the one that is able to get up fastest and get into the water the angel seasonal the angel is selective Ah, for those gathered around came to accept that the first person in the pool will be the one made whole. Herbert Spencer's brand of social Darwinism and its accompanying survival of the fittest theory ah, is definitely operative here at the pool. For only the quickest are cured. Only the fastest, including the most conniving, are set free. Only the most advantaged among them receive the greatest rewards. This angel, he's seasonal. He is also highly selective. Now let me be clear here and say that I'm purposeful in my use of the masculine pronoun. For in the second half of the previous century, uh, archaeologists around 1964 came to agree that what John describes as the pool of Bethesda was indeed a real place, possibly a water temple devoted to the Greek god Asclepius, god of healing. If you've never heard of Asclepius, maybe you've probably heard of his more famous father, Apollo or his daughters, Hygieia and Panacea, the goddesses of cleanliness and universal remedy, respectively. So it was very likely that those who assembled around this pool were paying their respects and waiting for the seasonal and selective appearance of Asclepius, the god of healing, to show up. But somebody else shows up. Jesus shows up. 
Jesus shows up in order to move beyond preaching toward practicing the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to show us the difference between Asclepius' kingdom on Mount Olympus, that's seasonal and selective, and the love of God's kingdom reflected in Christ Jesus, that's constant and inclusive. Our ways are fickle and capricious, but God's ways are faithful and compassionate. And though we often live in a society that can frame privilege as an inalienable right, while regarding care and compassion as an imprudent entitlement, in both word and in deed, Jesus demonstrates that in God's kingdom, there is a preferential option for those who find themselves languishing along the pools of despair. That is good news for you and me today. For anyone in despair, for anyone with a broken heart, anyone who feels that you do not measure up because the seasonal and selective angels of our society have passed you over, I say unto you this morning, open up your eyes. Look around. Look around and see a new kingdom of possibility. For there is an alternative source of healing and comfort beyond the traditional boundaries of success. Just as I say for any of us here in power, for any of us here who have seemingly hit all the markers of success in our lives, for any of us here who have benefited from what Drew Faust describes as the inexplicable uptick of luck, for anyone who was able to jump into the pool just at the right time, I say to you on this morning, open your eyes and open your heart to the new kingdom of possibility. For there is an alternative ethic that calls you and me to do more than enjoy our privilege. We are called to be responsible stewards of our privilege. And if we are to follow, if you and I are to follow the example of Jesus this morning, this means you and I must begin to walk along the pools, to move in and out among the least and the left out. We must have a preferential option in our society for those who are sitting along the pools of Bethesda waiting for a seasonal and selective society that often is going to leave them by the wayside, you and I must show that we're followers of Christ because we love one another. I must confess something to you this morning. I have to confess that this year, in my first year as the Plummer Professor Pusey Minister, I have experienced so many wonderful, meaningful moments. I've hobnobbed with the likes of David Gergen and Diane Paulus. I've discussed politics with Governor DePaul, Deval Patrick over dinner. I've attended a concert with Jill and Yo-Yo Ma. Can you believe it? I've deliberated basketball defenses with Tommy Amica 
And I've even spent the past two days assessing secularization trends in the US and Europe with David Hempton, Nancy Ammerman, and Harvey Cox. What a job. Nevertheless, the most meaningful moments for me are when, are when I witness the impact of this ministry, the impact of many of you, the impact that you have on our community and in our world. Reviewing and improving a list of 53 service organizations that this church will support financially. Witnessing your service to children in Dorchester at the Epiphany School. Witnessing some of you offering pro bono legal counsel to those in need. Witnessing reading about your work with boys and girls in India so that they may not simply be viewed as needy, but as resourceful amidst limiting resources. Or even some of your work with young girls and nonprofits in Afghanistan toward increasing educational and entrepreneurial opportunities and voter participation among women. When such work becomes central to who we are, we are modeling a ministry with a preferential option. This is also what it means to put ourselves into a position to encounter individuals like this man in the text. Verse 5 introduces us to someone who the gospel writer states had an infirmity for 38 years. That's what we all, we need to know about him. We don't know a name, we don't know where he's from, but the 38 years underscores the severity of his situation. He's far away from the pool. He's on the periphery of those considered peripheral. He's on the margins of the marginalized. And because of the seasonal and the selective nature of the angel, this man, I am suggesting, has learned to succumb to his situation. Over time, he went from being victimized by his disease physically to being a victim of his circumstances emotionally and spiritually. Why do I say this? Because look at his initial response to Jesus. Jesus steps to the man with a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love and asks him, will you be made whole? And the man responds, how? Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And every time I make my way, somebody else steps in front of me. This man is looking for what he perceives to be a cure. Jesus, however, is looking to heal. This man is concerned about his disease. Jesus is concerned about his illness. Do you want to be made whole? I don't have anybody to put me in the water so that I can be cured. I didn't ask you that. Do you want to be made whole? 
such differences between cure and healing or disease and illnesses are spelled out masterfully in the work of Professor Arthur Kleinman here on Harvard's campus. In his text, The Illness Narratives, Suffering, Healing, and the Human Condition, Kleinman makes the case that in our haste to treat diseases, we often overlook the social and psychological impact of the perceived disease. Illness is so much more than a disease. Illness represents the ways we experience and behave in response to the social and cultural reactions to our disease. Depression is a disease, brothers and sisters. Suffering in silence and shame and fear of someone labeling you insane or crazy, that's an illness. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome, AIDS, that's a disease. Living out the rest of one's life in isolation and despair due to the stigma of AIDS, that is an illness. So according to Kleinman's important distinction, this man in the text both has a disease, possibly palsy, and an illness, an internalized stigma from spending his days on the periphery of the pool. But I'm glad this morning. I'm happy about the fact that I serve a God and worship a Jesus that is not seasonal nor selective. I am glad that I serve a God that despite my diseases, God can still offer healing. Despite my condition, despite your condition, you and I still have the opportunity to be made whole. In the words of the Apostle Paul, I prayed for my thorn in the flesh three times to be removed. But I heard the voice of Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you. Do not be concerned about the seasonal and selective ways of others. Do not succumb to your situation because of low self-esteem or suffering in silence. Take up your bed and walk in confidence that you are healed by the love of God. And when you and I do this on this morning, when we say that we want to be made whole, when we accept the love and grace of God inside of our lives, then you and I can sing with voices of hope and healing in the words of Johnsman Oatman Jr. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one, no, not one. No one else could heal our soul's diseases. No, not one, no, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles and he will provide until the day is done there is not a friend like the lowly Jesus no not one no not one <laughs>